sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This panel is to discuss the rise of ESG and impact investing, how sustainable investing is shaping the future. So please do send in your questions as we go through over the next sort of 45 minutes and we'll hope to get to those at the end. If they are for a specific panel member, do make sure to mention them their names in the chat as well. We'd love to have lots of questions um, and make this as interactive um, as possible. So let's begin by introducing our fantastic panel. We've got Stephen Porter from Scottish Widows, Nana Tolsma at Satelligence. We've got Kenneth McKenzie at Target Fund Managers, Myron Jobson from Interactive Investors, and Stephen Clapham from Behind the Balance Sheet. So guys, if you can just all mute your, unmute yourself and we'll get ready to begin the conversation. Let's just kick off by going around the panel and finding out a little bit more about each of our guests. Stephen P, should we begin with you? Can you tell us a bit more about your role in your company? Sure. Thanks, Victoria. Um, really quickly, as, as the introduction, I'm at Scottish Widows, the responsible investment lead. Um, it's a reasonably newly formed team of about six six people on the investment side and then four people on, on the investment props in terms of our developing our, our propositions. My role within within the team is to co-lead our efforts on responsible investments. And my my partner on, on that is is on stewardship Shipper Gupta. So we we work very much in, in 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 line with each other. It's really very hard to split out responsible investment from stewardship. They're they're so intertwined. But my focus is a bit more on the investing side, direct with our investors and 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 our investee companies to try to you know, help them under you know, move forward as um, as we need to with, the, with regards to the climate crisis. Thank you. Stephen, it's great to have you. Nana, let's turn to you. Can you tell us a bit more about what it is that you do and maybe a bit about yourself as well? Yeah, sure. Thanks for the introduction, uh, Victoria. So mm-hmm. I'm Nana. I'm the head of client relations for Satelligence. And I think we, we are kind of a different organization compared to uh, what the other speakers come from. We are um, a surface, service provider giving insights on environmental risks based on satellite data and supply chain ownership data. What it basically boils, boils down to is that for a jar of peanut butter that you buy in the supermarket, we can tell whether or not uh, it was produced with or without deforestation. So I have more of an earth science background, and I'm very much looking forward to today to shed light on this exciting topic. Thank wow, you. Wow, really, really excited to get your perspectives. Now, Kenneth, should we get a bit from you? Tell us a bit about what you do. Sure. I'm the founder and chief executive of a company called Target Fund Managers. We have a, a publicly listed uh, REIT called uh, Target Healthcare REIT, and we invest in modern purpose-built care homes. Uh, because uh, we believe that caring for the elderly is a a wise and prudent uh, activity for the investor community. And uh, as a result of the way we invest, we're able to provide very long-term sustainable income uh, for our investors, as well as providing uh, modern purpose-built homes so that the quality of care for our seniors is of the kind that uh, you and I would like to have rather than some of the older product that is around uh, currently. So we've been doing this for about 11 years 
uh, and the, the public REIT has uh, an eight or nine year track record of uh, consistent returns, uh, moderate returns. Uh, AIC have called us um, the first social impact fund in the United Kingdom. Uh, and it's true to say that we didn't really realise we were that. Uh, our view on this whole space is let's just do good business wisely uh, and patiently and long term uh, and returns will flow from that. Uh, and with that philosophy long before ESG was thought about, uh, it turns out that uh, we do pretty well in terms of some of the scoring on ESG. Kenneth, thanks. Sounds like fantastic work, uh, philosophy and returns. <laughs> Myron, tell us a bit about your role at Interactive Investor. Well, well, I work with you, um, Victoria. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know what you do, but you know for everyone I do. else. <laughs> for everyone else. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm a personal finance campaigner at Interactive Investor, um, which is the UK's largest flat fee DIY investment platform. So my role um, is I explore and discuss um, topics across the personal finance spectrum. So that includes savings, mortgages, investments, and yeah, and ethical ESG investing. So I'm really, really thrilled to be here and to and speak to so many wonderful people and to talk about this really important subject. Yeah, really excited to get the uh, retail investor perspective. And let's just finalise with uh, Steve Clapham. Tell us about you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Steve Clapham. I'm a former hedge fund analyst. My company behind the balance sheet trains both institutional investors and private investors. So we have an online training school behind the balance sheet.com. And the reason I'm here is one of the things that we teach is trying to find quality investments. And we believe that ESG is a core central pillar of any investing strategy. So we, we try and help investors understand that more clearly. Steve, great to have you. Okay, let's kick off with the discussion, the rise of ESG and impact investing, how sustainable investing is shaping the future. Now, there's a lot of buzzwords there that are being used at the moment, ESG, impact, sustainability. So let's just unpick those to begin with and start with a definition. Stephen, if I could start with you, how do you define sustainability? I suppose within this particular, um, I guess, area we we could look at um, including ESG as you know responsible investing, sustainable investing, and impact investing as a part of a spectrum. And depending on like perhaps who, who your who your customers are, what your philosophy is as as a business, you would fit at you know at some point within that spectrum. So the way the way we look at Expo, the way we would define it as Scottish widows uh, responsible investing is the integration of environment, social and governance factors in the investment decision making process. It's not solely about risk management. It may have started that way. It's it, it shouldn't be any longer. And it's it's a philosophy. It's not a product. And this is something that drives me completely mad when we have firms setting up an ESG product alongside non-ESG products. Well, you either breathe it and live it or, frankly, you don't. Um, sustainable investing, we would define as taking risk, you know, taking RI and looking to have a particular um, goal perhaps around one of the sustainable development goals. So there is a particular outcome on sustainability that you're looking for. It's an, extent, it's an extension, a specific extension of, uh, of RI. And then impact investing would be even further down the line and being able to have something that is 
you know, perhaps directly directly measure, measurable. It has it may not be a financial aspect that you're looking at, um, and there may be but there may be a financial return there. So that's how we would look at it at Scottish Widows. And Nana, of course, you're coming from a slightly uh, different perspective. So tell us about what sustainability really means at your company. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Yeah, I I think maybe to look at it from a bit from a different perspective is that I think what we often underestimate is how complex sustainability is, right? So what we see now, uh, we started two years ago working with financial institutions on this topic, and we really see that specific expertise on these uh, sustainability topics are required. And also that current ESG tools are in general not sufficient to do a proper analysis because it's very general. So I think, in my opinion, a lot of financial institutions still have a long way to go. And this is okay, right? I mean, we just started on this journey together. but And, and we've also seen in, in a lot of other sectors that it takes time to go through a sustainability transition. But we really need to have more um, expertise and see sustainability less holistic. So uh, understand that it's different type of issues and that we work with with people, I think it's most important to realize. Yeah, and Myron, can you give us a sense of the sort of retail investor definition? How do they see impact investing and making ethical decision-making? It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because I think people that from a retail perspective, they think green, when they think about impact, they think about ethical ESG, the first thing they think about is green. I mean, we actually interact with investors. We did a poll on this um, earlier this year, um, and I think it was around 60% of respondents said that they, they focus on E in ESG. Mm. So we're talking about things like investments um, that, that helps um, to drive more positive, more green future. So that might be in renewable energy, such as solar power or wind. But there's also things that um, people could do to contribute towards a green, um, I suppose, future without thinking about renewables. So you might think about um, investments that are focused on reducing deforestation, for example, or something um, related to biodiversity. So I think, you know, ESG is quite, can have a broad uh, range of, of mm -hmm. definitions, um, but for retail investors, um, according to our research, a lot of people think green. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's try and cover four key topics today, if we can, including the sort of recent rise in sustainable investing, some of the challenges, a bit about what needs to be done, and then finally onto what the future holds. So, Kenneth, if we could kick off with sort of the recent rise, um, from what you've seen, how fast is interest in ESG and sustainable investing rising? So, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Um, there's the investor community who give us money, uh, and we are seeing uh, some more thoughtful questionnaires coming from the investor community in terms of how uh, we think about uh, the E and the S and the G. Uh, so there is definitely um, a rise in interest from the investor community in that over the last 18 months. I remember being at a conference in London in, I think, June or July 19, and there was a senior investment banker from the US speaking at that conference. And at the end of it, uh, he was speaking on the general healthcare sector. And at the end of it, I asked him, 
because we had been looking at ESG ourselves uh, by that stage. Uh, I asked him uh, what the uh, view was of ESG investing um, at that time, and he said to me, what is ESG? So that tells you probably in the summer of 19 that, uh, at least in America, uh, with a pretty senior guy that he hardly was aware of it and, you know, that would no longer be the case. So there's clearly a change. If you, on the other hand, look at what we are doing internally, um, we, have, we are actively considering and we've done some Briam and Use review of our product uh, and we've had some excellent reports on, on uh, the quality of the physical real estate that we have in that. But in reality, we're not doing a lot different to what we've done uh, for the last 11 years, because it always seemed to us plain common sense uh, as a real estate investor to invest in modern purpose built buildings with great environmental standards. We are completely, as you might expect, in the social care space because uh, our natural client for our tenants is the over 85s and they need to be cared for. And then uh, one of the concerns we had within the sector more generally is that there's a lot of lip service paid uh, by the operators of the care homes to the quality of care. And we've always been checking out whether the governance within the tenants was uh, in best practice, as well as having great governance internally in our products. So we're doing really in reality much the same with what we've done. One of the things we've discovered also, of course, there's a lot of hot air about this, but there is not in-depth quality measurement uh, of all of it. Uh, there is a, a whole variety of measuring standards. And if you think of what's happened within the, the financial sector, where uh, over, I, I, I've been in business for 40 or 50 years and I'm a chartered accountant personally, and the amount of uh, accounting standards that have developed so that there's true comparatives rather than the idea of one company or another company or another advisor or a further consultant. Uh, the ESG industry is really a, a, in a baby state in relation to some of that we would uh, consider. Yeah, um, Steve, if I could ask you here, I know you're a number cruncher. What's the access to data like from your perspective when it comes to impact and sustainable investing? Because Susan was saying in her introduction that there is so much data out there. Kenneth suggesting that it's a bit patchy. What are your thoughts? I mean, there's, there's there's lots of data, but most of it's useless. I mean, the the problem the problem is that there's no consistency and uh, of, of measurement. And you know, I th I think a lot of investors find this. And I'm talking about big institutional investors who subscribe to multiple services, and the mul you know different services are giving them different opinions on the same company. So one comp you know one. Data provider will say this has got five stars or four stars, and another will say it's got two. And you know this this creates a lot of um, concern uh, amongst investors. They, they ask themselves, well, how can two supposedly expert data providers have such different opinions on the same company? And when you start to look into the the, 
the quality of this data. I mean, you know, Volkswagen, so the Dieselgate scandal. I mean, Volkswagen had, you know, five gold stars for corporate governance across every data provider that I looked at. I mean, obviously, I don't look at them all, but all the main data providers were perfectly happy with Volkswagen's governance. Yet um, the chairman's wife, who used to be his nanny, was a member of the board of directors. Now, that seems to me something that, you know, any any um, ESG um, data provider should flag a, a, as being, you know, an unusual member of the, of the board. And um, I, I just think that the this is obviously is difficult because we're just at the starting stages of people being interested in the data. It's not easy to measure, which is the other thing, because, you know, there's different ways of measuring different things. Uh, but it's a it's a serious problem. And if we want to tackle climate change in particular, we need to get much better at this. Stephen, I'm, I'm wondering if you echo what, what Steve's been saying here and, and what your thoughts are about the recent rise in impact and sustainable investing. You said your team is relatively new. That, that's clearly a sign of uh, the rapid rise. I think what Kenneth said as well about ESG and the fact that the acronym was relatively unknown back in 2019 and pretty much everyone knows what it means these days. So what are your thoughts about the changes that we've seen lately? Yeah, um, the understanding of, of what ESG is and, and, and how long it's taken to become or to, to start to become mainstream is partly what has dictated my own rather unique background um, yeah. coming in here, starting in financial services, going back, going into academia and then going coming back in once again into into the financial industry. Um, it, it is now, main, it, the, the view that we have, it is now mainstream. On the on the data side, yes, we're at, we're at the early stages. I'm actually going to throw out a a, a question because I, based on on what Ken Kenneth and and Steve has have commented about on with regards to 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 the data and its inconsistency, should it be consistent? Should ESG ratings from different providers all point in the same direction? We don't expect that from the investing community in terms of individual stock um, stock recommendations and how that is built into investment decisions. We have our own proprietary methods and approaches and philosophies. Should we therefore expect all of the data on the ESG side from different providers to point in the same direction as we perhaps would do on credit ratings? Very different thing. So there is a, there is a data issue, but perhaps there's a use of, the, of data issue rather than so, so on Stephen, the data side. So I just so, put to pose that one out there as well. So, Stephen, let me answer that. Uh, do you expect, as a uh, Scottish Widow's investor, uh, that the P&L account and the balance sheet uh, is an accurate reflection of the profitability of the business? Or uh, is it all right for one firm to have a different accounting standard to another so that you can't compare like for like? So certainly take your point, Ken, um, and and this is why why I'm asking the question is you know well, should, it, it, should everyone you know, point, it, it, point in the same direction? Here's I'm, I'm here's the folly that that question is even asked. Okay, please. What what's what are we all about if you even ask such a question? Because surely it, it's about having truly comparables, or the FCA is going to be all over you. 
you know, to, to hear a comment from Susan, I think, or Victoria, I can't remember who said it earlier, about investors are are now having ratings on their score of on ESG. And uh, yes. Steve tells us that that isn't good comparatives, as is our view. Um, that's, I, I, not, I'm not, that, I'm not, that's not a I'm, wise I'm not, place for all of us who have got accountability to our investors, a personal veracity accountability thing. That, that is not my view of a, a historic um, Scottish Calvinistic view of integrity. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say that there, you know, that the, the data is that is good is the right thing. Do, do we need stand, do we need principles? Absolutely. If I'm getting, and do we need consistency and transparency and clarity of the message of what these various ESG ratings are supposed to be telling us? Absolutely. But they may be telling us different things because the different providers are focusing on on different issues. The what Steve has highlighted a very specific element. You know, perhaps maybe that should be a can have a consistent view across different providers of yeah maybe that idea that element of of governance should should be a negative. I guess where I'm coming from is are are we is the drive towards standardization of how things are reported and disclosed with and ESG it, if we're looking at it on a backward yeah, on on a backward facing basis point in time metric then maybe that that might be one thing if we're looking forward then there are differences of you know, there, maybe there is space for differences of opinion on what one company is versus another but absolutely clarity of message transparency of methodology and and communication Absolutely. It's quite interesting. If I chime in here, and just from a retail um, investor um, perspective, it's quite interesting because you know, there is a, a lack of common reporting standard, but isn't that always going to be the case when it comes to ESG ethical investing? Because it's inherently subjective, isn't it? I think what the issue is, is it's, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to understand a certain um, company's values or idea of what what constitutes as ethical or, or ESG um, and I think that's the biggest issue um, you know it's the labeling is is not great at the moment um, and trying to understand the classification just sort of like you know the the uh, average retail investor it, it's not there yet and Kenneth you mentioned that the FCA um, are looking at it and I think that that's the biggest challenge the FCA has is taking into account that ESG is intrinsically um, subjective um, but also making sure that in term, when it comes to reporting, um, it's easily understandable for retail investors to understand what um, how a company is defined in ESG and just have really clear metrics. Yeah, and I think one of, one of the key challenges for investors has been trying to identify greenwashing, which is essentially the process of uh, conveying a false impression or providing misleading information about how a company's um, products are environmentally sound. So, uh, Stephen, I mean, what are your views there about what uh, investors can do to protect themselves from being misled by greenwashing? It comes down to the, what I was mentioning before. How do we protect, how do investors protect ourselves from greenwashing? It's down to the investor, uh, sorry, not the investors, um, the, the provider of that particular investment vehicle to be very clear on what their message is. What is it that what, what is it they're saying? What's the what's their evidence that they that they can use to back up their statements? Being transparent about how they're approaching things, so that 
it you know, the, the investors themselves they have confidence in what the providers are are, are saying and what they're and what they are actually purchasing. So it is very much uh, incumbent upon the providers of financial product to avoid you know, to ensure that their 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 messaging is as clear is as clear as possible, so that they cannot be so there's a, the least risk possible of being perceived as greenwashing. Yeah, and so I'll put the, uh, the 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 onus on the provider, not on the investor, on the, on the end investor itself, on the retail investor. It should be on the provider. Mm. So, so, Steve, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we spoke earlier about uh, a lot of investors having exposure to companies such as BP or Shell, um, and what the challenges posed to uh, those with investments in such companies going forward. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to cover this point on greenwashing first. Because, yeah. uh, Please do. Uh, I'm sure Stephen's very sincere. He works for a high quality institution. And in the old days, Scottish Widows, when I was a Southside analyst, they were one of my biggest clients. But the, and, you know, obviously there are a lot of highly principled, highly um, in, um, conscious people involved in this. But at the end of the day, the ESG is partly a financial fad. And every institution who manages money wants a piece of the action. And so inevitably, there are going to be people who will talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. And I don't think it's possible for an external, you know, for the retail investor, how can they possibly distinguish between somebody who says we've got an ESG fund and somebody who's actually spending a lot of time doing it very seriously with a team of six and all the rest of it? So that's I, really interesting I, that you describe it as as a fad, because to well, me, it, I would say that that would suggest that it's here now and, and possibly gone tomorrow. Well, I, Do you I think, see it well, as a short term? sort of trend that a lot of people no, are hopping on the bandwagon after COP26 and in a few years are going to shun those investments and go back to the most profitable ones that are irresponsible? No, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. I mean, it's clearly a long-term structural trend, but the fad of people wanting to invest in ESG funds, that won't be sustainable, right? Because some of these ESG funds, the people that are doing it properly will do well. And some of the, the funds, which have just got the label stuck on ESG, they won't do so well. And so, you know, that part of it, the chasing won't won't continue in in, in my view, because the the, the the really good ones will be sorry that. Should I answer your question about BP? Or, yeah. I mean, so I, I I think this is quite interesting. So I was speaking at a conference the other day and somebody asked me my opinion of BP. And, you know, I am not FCA regulated any longer. And FCA is a client of mine. I don't want to upset them by giving people um, investment advice. And, and, you know, I don't know their circumstances and all, all those other caveats. But when you look at the oil majors, there is a very, very interesting, very, very serious problem because lots of private investors own these stocks for yield. And they obviously pay large amounts of dividends, and because of what's happening in the energy space right now, they've got um, their earnings are growing quite quickly, and those dividends are going to grow. But if you look and you know, if you think about this from a, a holistic ESG standpoint, there are two problems. The first problem is that they're producing 
oil and we need oil, right? So we can't do without it. You know, we can't live in a world without oil. Uh, and they're all trying to transition to cleaner energy. And it's this transition to cleaner energy, which I think is, is fraught with danger for investors because every big oil company, even Chevron and Exxon are being forced down this route, are putting huge amounts of money into the renewable space. And it's a classic case of a huge amount of capital is going to create a huge amount of supply and the returns are going to collapse. And none of these big oil companies are going to make money out of investing in renewable energy. So they're going to, they've got two problems. The first problem is that their original source, their current main source of income is going to dry up. And the second problem is that the returns that they're going to generate from recycling those cash flows into the new cleaner energy environment are going to be, the returns are going to be terrible. So I can't understand why anybody would invest in the big oil company. I think they're hugely challenged. I mean, they've obviously done quite well this year, but in the back of the oil price, but and this is not an investment recommendation. I haven't done a DCF model on, on all those stocks, but long term, in 10 years time, you will not make money owning any of these stocks. Okay, let, let's move on to what sort of more needs to be done to encourage more purposeful investing. Um, Nana, I know you work a lot with financial institutions and investment funds. So uh, from your perspective, what do you see as the necessary changes to encourage a shift more towards ESG and sustainability? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Victoria, for the question. Um, I think um, that financial institutions, and that's also what we see, have a big role to play within this whole uh, atmosphere because as a financial institution, you can ask for traceability and transparency for a company. Because I just want to mention an example. We have a sector that is, of course, notorious for uh, greenwashing, for environmental risk, and that's palm oil. And we see basically that in, within the palm oil industry, greenwashing is not possible anymore, at least when you have access to the right tools and solution. And it's because of this increased transparency and traceability that is being required as part of public disclosures. And these requirements, they are in place because of pressure of all stakeholders, including financial institutions, because you can um, basically ask these companies to disclose this or stop financing them. And this is really more of an engagement type of approach in, uh, yeah, which of course takes time and money, but in the end, we see that the sector really moves forward uh, over time. Um, Stephen, I wanted to get your thoughts about what uh, major stakeholders like the public or investors or regulators should be doing to encourage capital flows to purposeful investing. It's going to depend on, I guess, who your, um, who, who your investor base is. It's it's going to be different for for, for us at Scottish Widows in terms of what we what we can do um, in in certain areas because of the regulatory structure around it. Very different if you're looking at um, sovereign wealth funds or or you know high net ultra high net worth private individuals. And um, what it is an area that we are are, are looking to to do more in, and we have recently. Um, announced that we for our our own net zero net zero plans we are looking to increase our investments in what we call you know climate aware strategies which and you know to 20 to 25 billion by by 2025 and then direct investment in areas that will have a financial return 
but also with a measurable impact. And we're looking on climate solutions, you know, so purposeful investing, looking for, the, for that to be about a billion. That second one, they get, the first one is easier because we can do more around the portfolio. That does not necessarily mean that it's having a real world impact. And this is where the stewardship element really comes into play. And trading second, you know, trading equities or, or bonds in the secondary market, we're just moving money from one party to them to another. It's not it's, it's not actually allocating capital to, to 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 projects. So this is where you know we would like to be able to do more on on you know, in the fun, you know, financially returned impact space. We have some restrictions ar around it. You know, charge caps are are one thing on pensions for, for retail investors. Um, our own race to zero on cost structure as as um, a competition. That's what we've been, been been choosing against. That mindset needs to shift such that we can begin to allocate into more expensive financial products that will have real world impact. But that's not your one basis point past investing. So there is a, a mindset that needs to be changed from the investing community, as well as perhaps some relaxation from, from the regulatory perspective. Um, Myron, tell us a bit about the retail investor perspective. What do they need to do to make their portfolios more sustainable? Or indeed, what do other stakeholders need to do to support the retail investor? I think it's quite interesting. For retail investors, the only way that they can ensure that um, uh, investment is aligned to their idea of what ethical is or what green is, is by X-raying their own portfolios. I think there's no two ways about it. They really have to do a deep dive um, to, to see if it's aligned to the, their moral values. I think what providers can do to help with this process is to offer clearer information. Um, when I say clearer information, not all providers are, are guilty of um, um, offering you know, comprehensive um, information that only an intellect can decipher, but may, maybe also the, the regulars can help you know, frame, uh, help come up with a framework. And I know the FCA are looking at this to maybe standardize an, an approach um, a little bit rather than just having, you know, providers offering different types of information that's hard for the, um, the average investors to to distill and also to make comparisons because, you know, that's, that's a great, that's really difficult for retail investors at the moment. But as I said, again, for retail investors, it's, it's really, really difficult. They, they have to do their own research, you know, and and I think more and more people want to, and the more information that's out there in regards to um, ESG investing, that the more more engaged people are becoming. So, you know, recently we had um, the well, I think it was November or October, um, the UN climate change report, which warned us of the impending climate disaster if we don't do anything about it, if we just continue um, as normal. And um, we asked um, a couple of we, we asked um, um, people how they were they responded to that report. So we asked investors how they responded to that report, and around 40% said that that report has made them think about ES, um, investing more in um, ethical ESG solutions. And so I think greater information is great, but also information that people can actually um, digest is is it's imperative, really. And, and Kenneth, it sounds as though from your business perspective, you've managed to achieve a level of sustainability and a focus on ESG relatively organically. Um, do you think that there's stuff that needs to be done to actually encourage more purposeful investing? So how do you go about uh, reaching those goals? Well, to some degree, that there's a philosophical question here, isn't there? 
uh, how much do we, in our personal values and the way we live our lives, uh, have that holistic view of of life? Um, some people would have a humanistic view um, that we're just matter and we disappear. Others of us would have a Judeo-Christian view uh, and, and believe that we're accountable to a higher being for myself, somebody called Jesus Christ. Uh, so it, 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 there's all kinds of philosophical questions here. For us, the core of what we are doing on sustainability is our investors are probably going to be disappointed if next month or next quarter or in a quarter's time they don't get their quarterly dividend. So we better see that our underlying investments are profitable consistently. And then we have sustainability in terms of our income. And then we have credibility with our investor. Uh, and alongside that, our underlying philosophy, as I've indicated, is this whole ESG matter, while at the same time recognizing, and uh, I've found it helpful to hear Steve saying the same, that there isn't yet a comparable measurement system. So when I hear about private investors seeing ratings on ESG, when there's no comparability, uh, I shudder to think of the wisdom of that. But um, who am I? We'll just do our own thing. Okay, let's move on to uh, the final part of the discussion, which is the future of sustainable investing before we get to questions. Um, Nana, to you, what are some of the big changes you expect to see in your business and, and more broadly over the next, uh, say, five years? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Victoria. Um, yeah, recently I, re I read an article on Greenbase, which mentioned that in the coming years, the ESG landscape still will be the Wild West uh so to say so uh, my main hope first of all is next that actually we don't see ESG as a separate landscape right that it's completely integrated in every decision we make but that might be a bit further away i think the two main things that that we will see in the coming years is uh the standardization of ESG metrics that we touched upon and uh driven by uh regulations, EU taxonomy, etc. The second thing is, um, is what I also touched upon a bit earlier, is that we don't see ESG as something holistic, right? That we understand that there are different teams for which in a financial institution, we need specific domain expert to tackle these uh, specific topics. Stephen, looking to the future, do you think ethical investing will become the new normal? I think using the term ethical ethical investing itself is is a subset of what that of what is it that we that we've been talking about. At least mm -hmm. in, in my view, that's how I would compartmentalize the, the different elements. And so I don't categorize. Yeah, ESG is not necessarily in company. Ethical isn't necessarily ESG. There is an element of it in there, but one is not um, equivalent to to the other. Where where, where do I see it going? Um, I think we're you know, possibly I can see, you know, two di two different scenarios. One is yeah, it's blah blah blah, and nothing actually changes. Everybody uh, and we've had the um, comments through today. Yeah, there's you know, a, a lot a lot of talk, but we actually need we need action. Um, there does seem to be the push behind the you know from the investing community 
Is it because they're jumping on a bad wagon so that they can so they can gather assets or or keep the assets they have? Hopefully not, and hopefully you know we we will see action. But that is one potential scenario, and um, is we just don't have sufficient action being undertaken, and nothing actually you know, nothing really changes. The other side is perhaps something that we've not talked about. It might come through the through the course of the afternoon. Is you know another scenario which I might call you know just in time. Focusing on the just element of the transition that we're looking that we need to have within um, within the, the global economy, part of which can be um, and encouraged by the by the investing community. But to be able to do that, we also need to have continued evolution of what this idea of what fiduciary duty is. It's not solely financial. I, I have I have I don't. I, be very surprised if anyone on the call today would would say that it is only purely financial, and that's you know, that has moved forward, but it hasn't moved enough to be able to say yes. The environmental, the ESG, the, the social element, the just element is equ is equally important as the financial side because we are actually investing for people's futures. So I can you know those are two possible scenarios. Which one's going to happen? I have no idea, but I much prefer the second than the first. Thank you all so much for such a wonderful discussion. And I'm pleased to say that we've actually had a lot of questions come through for the from the audience, which is great news. So I'm just going to run through as many of these as we can. Guys, feel free to just jump in and answer if you've got something to say. Um, the first one is, if there are lower PE ratios or other valuation metrics for lower ESG stocks, could these stocks conversely be more interesting for value investors? Does anyone want to grab that one? Well, if nobody else wants to, I'll, I'll grab it. I mean, I, I think um, there are, you know, attractions in melting ice cubes, as, uh, as the, they're known in, in the trade. And obviously, um, right now, we've got an environment in which interest rates are at zero, and therefore profits in 2040 or 2050 are almost as valuable as profits today. If we move to an environment in which there is a more an interest regime, interest rate regime, which looks more like historic ones, then the value of those flows today will be higher than the ones in the future. And I think you kind of need a little bit of, of interest rates to make this ESG, you know, the, the things that people don't want today because of ESG considerations. Part of the reason is that growth is so highly valued. So I think you kind of need a switch from growth to value to, to make those stocks more interesting. Okay, I've got another question here. Thank you for the discussion on the inconsistency or consistency of ESG reporting. ESG issues are, norm are usually driven by a company's materiality assessment, which may end up with a different set of issues, even for companies in the same industry or sector which is one of the reasons why there's such a variety in reporting. Can we link the reporting to net zero targets somehow? May that help the, the consistency of the reporting? Anyone want to jump in on that one? No. Next. <laughs> I think, I mean, this question of reporting, it, it, I mean, it, it's, even when you've got the rules, it's extremely difficult. I mean, I was at, I was at, um, Cruff yesterday, which is a corporate reporting users forum in which investors try and interact with the accounting standards people. And, 
you know, one of the <laughs> one of the guys was was presenting, and he, and he presented a, a, on us an accounting a facet of an accounting standard that I wasn't aware of, right? And the reason I wasn't aware of it is because nobody applies it. So you know, we've got a set, set of existing accounting standards, and they don't really work that well. I mean, they work better than nothing. Um, I think you know what's happening at the moment is that we're aiming for perfection in getting sustainability standards and what we should do is we should just get something quicker and i think part of the part of the problem with with the whole data and the whole measurement is it's such a loose such a big issue such a big subject that it's very difficult to pin down so i think you know we should be focused on getting an answer faster and then improving it because whatever answer we get isn't going to be perfect and the best way of, of of improving will be to get things done in practice and then we can see what the faults are and and and, and change them just quick on that um your point steve it's quite interesting i was speaking to a few friends recently about esg investing and they right and they asked me how can i get involved in this you know is there a kite mark for esg and i, I think it would be great if it was like a one stamp you know like a you know a sustainable uh, you know stamp of approval um for it but it's, it's it's more complicated than that, isn't it? You know, it's like having a stamp with lots of asterisks. I think the job for the regulator um, who are looking into this is to just come up with some sort of framework that allows, you know, companies, providers to explain themselves concisely. And when I say explain themselves concisely, explain what ethical, it's not ethical, sorry, um, what ESG uh, means to them and why you know um, why they they've classified certain investments certain funds you know whatever as as such I think the danger of that is that the it, it's not about what ESG means to the individual company it, it, there needs to be an external standard that uh, people meet together it, that's a bit like us speaking about well it's my truth such and such an idea but is there a, a is there a, a separate a philosophical position of truth in itself? What does truth really mean? Ultimately, when you get to a court, you'll find out what truth really means. You would hope, uh, and it, I, I think it, part of this is about approaching uh, philosophically the whole thing. Uh, and if anybody can tie the philosophy back to kite marks and standards. Uh, maybe by 2060, maybe by 2060. It won't but, happen in the next two or three years. That long, kind of, you don't think it'll happen any sooner? No. Uh, the, the, the account, <laughs> math, uh, accounting is math, and math has taken about 50 years to have a, a, a comprehensive set of standards. And math is definable. ESG is pretty grey. And accounting standards don't work either. So, you know, they're, <laughs> they're a lot better than they were. That's right. we'll another debate. Yeah. We have, in fact, run out of time, unfortunately, despite the fact that there are about 10 more questions here to answer. So if you'd like those questions answered, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Victoria S underscore II. And I'll try and get answers for you from our wonderful panel. Thank you so much, guys, for an amazing discussion. Such a lively debate, uh, such interesting points there. Uh, we covered whether peanut butter 
causes deforestation, <laughs> um, all the way to the retail investors' uh, perspective on ESG. So thank you so much from Steve, Nana, Myron, Kenneth, and Stephen. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.